We've been looking at the story of God because we believe that this one big book is a unit. We believe that it's one story about how God loves his creation and wants us to have a relationship with him. We started way back in the Garden of Eden and we saw how God worked and created man in his own image. We saw as sin entered into the world and now through Adam we have all sinned. As we follow that pattern of looking at God, we actually looked at Abel and how Abel's blood cried out to the Father, which was a picture of, of Jesus, and how his blood was going to be more effective, crying out on behalf of our salvation. As you move through the, the flood, we didn't really talk about Noah, but I want you to know it was back there. <laughs> then as you move on through to look at how God worked in Abraham, declaring that he would send Jesus through Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had the same promise that God would, through their seed, send Jesus. Then we saw through one of Jacob's sons that the children of Israel went to Egypt. When they got in Egypt, they, they were there for 400 years in bondage. And God raised up a deliverer named Moses, and he brought them out. When he brought them out, God gave his law to show what he was like and how to have a, a system that made sense. But he also gave the tabernacle to explain how they were to worship him. And so as they moved through a period of judges, they came to the place of saying, we want a king. And when they asked for a king, the, the priest said, Lord, I think they're messing up. He said, don't, don't worry, they didn't reject you, they're rejecting me. And so then we saw the kings and kingdoms, how God began to put together a pattern of leaders, but the people began to reject God even still, because we know that by nature we're sinners, and by choice we're sinners, and we all need a Savior. So these kings and the kingdoms give us pictures of how God's at work. If you back up just one slide, I got in a hurry there, Nick, uh, help me out. Let's, if you back up, you'll see that in the United Kingdom, there were three. Uh, someone came up to me after the service and said, you know, I really appreciate you explaining that. I didn't really have a good picture of that. I want you to know of all those kings and all those kingdoms, there were only three while they were together. In the United Kingdom, that's not Great Britain, okay? The United Kingdom being the time that they had one king, all 12 tribes in the land. And then we said that Saul had no heart after God, and God saw and revealed his heartlessness and rejected him. David, though he sinned, was called a man after God's own heart. And God made a promise. It's called the Davidic covenant. God made a promise that he would rule and reign through a son of David. And we saw how Jesus is that promised son of David that we know is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then David had a son, Solomon. Now today, as we're moving toward, and really this shouldn't be going up, you know, because uh, it's, even though the time is moving toward Jesus, we're going to go today and look at kings and kingdoms and the divided kingdom. So let's look at that next slide. Watch how it's kind of moving down. David and then Solomon, and today we're going to see how the kingdom divided, and then next week we're going to look at how the exile came and they were sent away into exile and it hopefully will make sense to you then when you start thinking about all those prophets what were they talking about and where was this thing going as the prophets in the divided kingdom talked about what God was up to and then later restored them back into the land so that there'd be 400 years of silence and then Christ so today we come, as we look at Solomon and the beginning of the divided kingdom, I want us to camp out on one verse. 
I'll, I'll use some other verses to explain what's going on, but I want this one verse to come home in our hearts. Look at what it says. 1 Kings 11, verse 4. When Solomon was old, his wives, notice that's plural. We, we won't really talk about how many hundreds it were, all right? His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not truly, was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. So one of the things we're going to see is this whole idea of kings and kingdoms. It really is a matter of the heart. So would you pray with me? Father, today as we open your word with great reverence, we take it for what it is, the very word of God. We know that you have given it to us, you've inspired it. Amazingly, you've protected it all of these hundreds of years. And now we very different from people around the world, actually have a copy of it in our hands. We have access to it every day. And we're amazed that you would give us an understanding through your word, what you're like and how we can know you. We've entered this room today because we are or want to be followers of Jesus. We've come here because we believe that as people gather, like Johnny talked earlier, from different backgrounds, there's that unifying understanding that we've all been bought with a price and we belong to you through Jesus. So now today, would you take your word? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to us in a very personal way? You know everything about us. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the lives of the people who walk through the door this morning. We can greet each other casually, but you know what's way down in there. Some things we want to see, some things we're afraid to see, but Lord, would you speak to us? We trust you. We know that you would never do anything but for our good and for your glory. So King Jesus, we, we crawl up on the operating table. We ask you to be the surgeon that loves us. Take away, cut open, do what we need reveal to us and then put us back together in a way that we can be healthy and walk with you. So speak to us now in a personal way. That's why we pray, Lord God, speak to my heart. Could you make that your prayer? Lord God, speak to my heart. In Jesus' name we wait. Amen. This week, as I thought about all the kings that are involved in the divided kingdom, and as I looked at this turning point, there really is a turning point in Solomon's heart and in the hearts of the first couple of kings in the north and south kingdom. And as we look at these divided kingdoms, we're going to see some great lessons for a divided heart. It's very easy for us to find things that distract us and take away our attention and turn us away from following Jesus. So I want us today to just take a moment to look at three different guys who represent this splitting apart of the kingdom and then see what lessons God may want us to catch from their lives. First, let's talk about Solomon for a moment. Solomon was a very wealthy man few like him, none like him really. They, they came from all over the world. 
And one returned and said, what you've heard about him, not the half has been told. And we can say the same thing about Jesus today. But as they came to see this great king who had all of this stuff, and he was so wealthy. Remember how God appeared to him and, and a dream? And, and what would you like? He said, I, I really just want to be wise. And God said, okay then, what a, what a prayer. If that's what you want and you want to be wise, then watch what I'm going to do and how I'm going to bless you and give you things you did not ask for. Let whatever lesson needs to apply there in your life of when you seek the Lord, and watch him do those things that will be added unto you, Jesus said, when we seek the kingdom of God. So Solomon cried out to the Lord, and he woke up and realized that it was a dream. But God said, no, it was really a prophetic dream for me to show you what I'm going to do in your life. So God blessed him. All of the books of wisdom that we have that came out of Solomon. Remember, they brought the baby to him, and they were arguing over who the baby belonged to. He said, okay, then why don't we just cut the baby in half, and we'll give half to one and half to the other. And they said, you got to be kidding. And so the real mother said, no, 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 give it to the other one. What wisdom Solomon began to show. But I don't quite know what did it, but it seems like his stuff did it. He had so much stuff that his heart started getting turned aside. One of the great lessons we could find from Solomon's life is you can have all that this world has to offer and still not be satisfied. How many times do we give all of our life to search for stuff that will never meet the longing of our soul? Think about it. As Solomon gave himself for all of his stuff, he then started taking wives. Now, he, he used the excuse that these wives would be good bargaining chips, you know? I mean, we'll take a wife from that kingdom, and then that king will like me okay. We'll take a wife from that kingdom, and then wife, then the kingdom will like me okay. But it says that he loved so many foreign women. I'm in chapter 11 of, of 1 Kings. It said he loved so many foreign women that the nations around Israel said, but God remembered, had told them, don't intermarry. Not because, I've heard people use that uh, verse totally out of context, but God did not say, don't intermarry because I don't want to mix races. But what God said is, don't intermarry because you will take their gods when you start taking them as part of your family. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 3 of 1 Kings 11 says, he had 700 wives and who were princes and 300 concubines. I could make one comment about one wife, but I won't, all right? Uh, she's a great joy to my life. But I, I, I can't imagine the confusion of 700 and 300 and who's going to get what on what day, right? But catch what happened. The very next phrase is what turns the light on this. The end of verse 3 of 1 Kings 11 says, They turned his heart away from the Lord. They divided his heart. That's why if, if you write in your Bibles, I, I write in mine. Sometimes I just underline something to make sure I see it. I actually picked up KK's colors. Her Bible looks like a coloring book, and I, I use a little color on this to make sure I remember it. This is a summary verse. You, you want one? This verse that we read is a summary verse. 
Solomon was old. His wife seduced him to follow other gods. His heart was not completely with the Lord his God as his father's David heart had been. Then it comes back to summarize again. It says, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Unlike his father David, he did not completely follow the Lord. So, the next summary verse comes in verse 9 when it says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel and he had appeared to him twice. He commanded this about him so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, catch this, this is how God responded to Solomon rejecting him. And by the way, can I just throw in one more little thing? compromise always leads to compromise compromise always leads to more now i'm not talking about compromising government or how you get a bill through congress lord help they would get a bill through congress right i totally didn't want to talk about divided kingdom that way this morning but you can make the application all right but compromise in his life led to more compromise and that always happens with us when we start just taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, saying a little bit won't hurt you, you do know the five lies that the devil always says. See if I can get them up. I didn't plan on this, all right? A little bit won't hurt you, okay? Everybody's doing it. You can stop anytime you want to, right? You deserve this. Those are always the little lies that the devil throws at us. You know the last lie of the devil? I got you. And you'll never get out now. That, too, is a lie. Compromise leads to compromise, and it did that way in Solomon's life. But then the Lord, in summary of what he was going to do with Solomon, said this. Since you have done this, in verse 11 of chapter 11, and did not keep my covenant and my statutes which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to, catch this, your servant. That's an important thing that God said about what he was going to do with the kingdom. Divided heart, Solomon. You got the picture? It's really important that you catch that if you want to remember how this thing digressed and went down to become the place where the divided kingdom took place. So just what God had said about tearing the kingdom away happened through a guy named Jeroboam. Now I confess to you, I've had trouble keeping up with Jeroboam and Rehoboam, all right? Which one's which? Which one goes on which side? So let me see if I can make sure you follow the story. The first thing was with the servant Jeroboam. 1 Kings chapter 11. This, this, this is a pretty big chapter of watching this stuff turn. In verse 26, it says, Solomon's servant Jeroboam, and then it tells about where he came from, and it says, uh, this is the reason he rebelled against the king. He had built the terraces, repaired the opening in the wall. Now the man Jeroboam, catch this, he was capable. And Solomon noticed that the young man, because he was getting things done. I, I like the way this translation says. He noticed him because he was working. And not only because he was working, but because when he worked, good stuff happened and it came together. You, Any of you got a workplace where you watch your co-workers 
I don't. I never read the book on makeup work, but I, I know that a lot of people just make up work. You know, they just work all day, seem so busy. Look at what they did, and nothing happened. Right? I mean, it just wasn't productive. King Solomon looked at his servant. Remember, God had said he was going to give it to his servant. He looked at his servant Jeroboam, and he said, "Man, that guy, he gets stuff done." So he started putting him in charge. Sound like anybody else in the story of God we talked about? Joseph, who was getting stuff done and getting put in charge. So here he's getting put in charge. But listen to what the prophet says to Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11, verse 29. There was a prophet, Ahijah. He met Jeroboam on the road. Ahijah had wrapped himself in a new cloak. And the two of them were alone in the open field. Verse 30, Ahijah took the new cloak and he tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, here, you take 10 pieces for yourself. For this is what the Lord of Israel says. I'm about to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and I will give you 10 tribes. The prophet started explaining what God was about to do. The servant was going to take 10 tribes and lead them. The son was instead going to get two tribes. That's a little confusing when you read it. It keeps referring to the one being Judah, but then it goes back and includes the second being Benjamin, so small that it sometimes was just put in there together. I, I still haven't got a great answer to explain that to you, but come on, you can study yourself, right? I mean, that's part of how this works. You go home to see if it's true, and you figure out if what the preacher preached was what the Bible said, all right? That is a good way to do it. You remember? That's what happened in the book of Acts. It said that they went home and studied to see if what they'd been taught was true. And I encourage you to do that because I want you to have confidence in the Word of God and you can study it for yourself. Side lesson, back to the one. All right, you ready? So here's what happened. God let the prophet tell the servant, I'm about to do what I said I was going to do, and you're going to get ten tribes and I'm going to leave two to the son. So then chapter 11 ends and says, The length of Solomon's reign in Jerusalem over all of Israel totaled 40 years. Solomon rested with his fathers. He was buried in the city of David, the, of his father David. And his son Rehoboam became king in his place. I told you chapter 11 is really pivotal. It is a turning point of how this divided kingdom happened. So Rehoboam became king. Now, let me tell you a little thing you can remember in the story that's, that's a fun memory and a telling memory on Rehoboam. When Rehoboam became king, the elders, the leaders came to him and said, now you do know that your dad was hard on these people, right? You do know that Solomon demanded a lot and worked the people really hard. Now here's what you ought to do. You tell the people that you want to be their servant. 1 Kings 12 verse, verse 7. Today, if you will be a servant. Now, these are the older guys telling the young king, Rehoboam. Today, if you will be their servant to these people and serve them, and if they, you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. Side lesson, filled with them. Anger promotes anger. 
Humility promotes humility. A soft answer turns away wrath. Think about it. So the old guy said, look, Rehoboam, when you become king, now that, now that you're in charge, tell the people that you want to help them. Tell the people you want to serve them. Speak good things to them, and they will follow you. He said, hmm, interesting counsel. Let me think about it. So he went aside for a few days, and then he met with, verse 10, the young men. This is not a sermon saying old is good and young is bad, okay? I'm not, I just want you to get the story. I'm not making this up. I'm reading it here, all right? So here's what happened. The young guys said, come on, man. If you're easy on them, then they'll take advantage of you. This is the time you step up and say, paraphrase, Come on, you turkeys, I'm the king now. And you think my dad was hard on you? My little finger's going to be harder on you than anything my dad ever did. I'm going to come down with a hammer and make you serve me. Rehoboam accepted the counsel of his young friends who wanted a position of power. And the kingdom divided. So those are the three players, and those are the three lessons that come to us about kings and kingdoms. Now, as I look at those, I found myself thinking, but today I'm a follower of Jesus. What do these kings and kingdoms say to me? So I just jotted down three things that relate to the New Testament about following Jesus as our king. And here they are. Number one, Jesus alone can fill the longings of our soul. I want to say that straight. I'm not even sure I want to unpack it. I just want to tell you that it's true. Everything you long for can be met in the deepest part of your soul through Jesus. We try so hard to get other people to do that, and no one really can. If you have a spouse that loves you, thank God for that, but don't let your spouse take the place of satisfying the deepest longing of your soul. It'll never work. If you have children, thank God that you have children. But don't be that screaming parent in the little league stands trying to live out your dreams through them. And don't think that you can somehow get the deepest needs of your heart met through children. Talk about the counsel of the old and the young. Let me give the young guys some counsel from an old guy, all right? Your children will bring you the greatest sorrows, and your children will bring you the greatest joy. And sometimes you have to choose which one to focus on because it's always a challenge, and you cannot, though you want to, live out your dreams through your kids. Why don't you help them discover their own dreams 
and find great joy. I love the way the old song said it. Just to know that your children really love the Lord is a faithful parent's passion and reward. And that's what we long for, and sometimes we don't see it. But listen, keep coming back to letting Jesus meet the deepest longings of your soul. Solomon had everything and still tried to get his needs met through 700 wives and serving false gods. Jeroboam enjoyed the power and he created false places of worship. That pattern is going to show up over and over again in the Old Testament. Rehoboam raised up high places against God and tried to get people to serve him. Listen to what we have to believe when we look at somebody in the grocery store or that guy that cuts in front of you in traffic, the audacity of him doing that, all right? Here's what we have to believe. God has put eternity in their hearts, and he longs to bring worshipers from all of the people on planet Earth. Jesus alone meets the longings of our soul. King Jesus. Here's the second lesson. Jesus lowered himself to serve. Do you remember the counsel that was given to Rehoboam? Boy, that was really good counsel. You might consider it political manipulation in that day, but I'm telling you it is a truth about what happens in a good kingdom with a good king. Can you believe that God's son would consider heaven as something he didn't need to cling to, but he would be willing to empty himself and be born and laid in a manger? That he would be raised on planet earth with no reputation and he would live just like every other man but then he would be willing to humble himself to serve even to the death of the cross. As we're going to understand King Jesus leading us, we need to know that we've been called to follow his example, to not cling to anything that we think are our rights and not to demand anybody else serve us. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about marriage being 50-50. You know the only problem with that? You think you've gone 60, and what's wrong with her? She's only gone 30. It's because you've got two entirely different scales. You may tell you what makes marriage work, 100-100. That's the only way it's going to work. And you can stop this crazy cycle of accusing and, and, and fighting if you will lay down your life completely to serve the other and watch the response. It was good counsel they gave, but Jesus lived it and then said it was to be how we would follow him. So we follow King Jesus in his example where he lowered himself to be the servant. All right. Here's the last application I saw as I looked at these kings and these kingdoms. Jesus said to us, you can't serve two masters. Remember how he said it on the Sermon on the Mount? 
He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew chapter 6. This morning, I don't know what you're serving. I don't know what's controlling you. I don't know what's dominating you. It's probably in one of three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Those seem to be the three root systems of everything that come against us. And the, the lust of the flesh, where you want stuff to satisfy you. The lust of the eyes, where you want the passion for sensuality to satisfy you. The boastful pride of life, when you want to get even and you're living out vengeance. Those three things in a root system, materialism, moral impurity, and bitterness will control us. But if we really want to serve King Jesus and live free in his kingdom, we recognize we can't serve two masters. We lay down pursuing anything but Christ alone. As I thought about division, I had this really clever introduction that I didn't use <laughs> because I, I, got, I started a different way. But here's what I was thinking ought to be the introduction to the sermon. Division Divided homes, divided families, divided friendships, divided countries, divided states, divided political parties, divided churches. Division can suck the life right out of you. And if you get energy out of fighting and division, I promise you the adrenaline is going to wear off and you're going to crash. But right the opposite of division is unity and it is life-giving. And today I call you to a united heart, totally sold out, focused on Jesus. James said it this way in James chapter 1. He said, you can ask of God, he wants to give it to you freely, but don't ask him with a double mind, because if you're double-minded, you're going to be unstable in all your ways. The word double-minded there is the word daisuki. It means to have one foot too sold, to have one foot in the world trying to serve the world, and one foot pointed toward God trying to serve him, and it is a miserable tearing apart of the kingdom of your heart. But then in chapter 4, of James, it says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that's the invitation for today. I invite you to Christ. Would you bow your heads? I invite you to Christ. Close your eyes. Listen, I invite you to Christ he alone will satisfy the longing of your soul. I invite you to him. I invite you to take everything that you have, all that you are and all that you have, and lay it at Jesus' feet and trust him. I promise he, he wants what's good for you. Let him be your king. Bring him all your problems. Bring him all your pain.
Lay it before the King of kings and Lord of lords. I invite you to Christ. And when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You can cleanse your hands today if they've been involved in things not pleasing to God. Bring them to God and let him wash you and make you clean. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Take a heart that's divided and say, Lord, I want you to help me focus entirely on you. Not try to serve two masters, but to love you and serve you as the king of my heart, who alone can satisfy the longing of my soul. Lord, I thank you for your word today. As painful as it is to watch Solomon fall and the confusion with his servant and his son, we're reminded that your son came and served and gave his life that we might know you. So today we come to you. We come to Christ. We bring you all that we are and all that we have and ask you to be the king of our life. In Jesus' name.